How's it going down there, kid? Yeah, yeah, it's going good. I'm just trying to do stripe. I'm nearly there, dude. Oh, man, you're doing a lovely... everywhere. Oh, you're doing a lovely job of painting, though. Look, it's bright white. It's got that lovely big red stripe. That Look stripe it. has took me fucking ages, mate. Look at it. It's lovely. Hang about. What's that, what's that big lumpy bit over there, though? Hang about. Oh, fucking hell, man. You painted over one at Seagulls. <laughs> Oh, look, he's flown off now. Look at oh, big white hole. <laughs> <laughs> he's a lovely colour, though, isn't he? That seagull, look at him. Look at him, he's majestic. He's oh. like a punk seagull now. <laughs> he's looking good. But listen, you've been working too hard. What you need to do, I've got a lot of surprise for you, so come up over here. Oh, Lean right, up at railing up here. Have you got me? Well, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ, I can't look here down. Here we go. Come on, yeah. up, up, over the railing. Oh. I'm up. Oh, spot on. Good lad. Right, right, peel off them overalls, right? I've got to say, it looks like seagulls are being shiting all over me, honestly. Ah, no, you've pain, got, you've got, this, it's pain. You've got someone underneath, haven't you? Yeah, a little something. <laughs> <laughs> a oh, little look, a speedo. It's a little speedo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a good thing because it's a sunny morning. Oh, Here we it's are. It's beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Crystal is that sky. Yeah, here we are at Kraken Cove, and it's uh, what you need to do is come in here into the lamp room with me. Hi, yeah, let's get in. Here's one a surprise. Me... Look, I've got yourself a little little morning tea. You've got a high oh, tea on. Go for you. Lovely. It's one of my favourite your... rooms, is this, you know. I love it up here. Oh, I've got your deck chair out there. Look, you can oh, have a little nice. so Let me have a right. sit down. That's good. Get yourself settled down there. You know, you've been working to have your little speedo. I think that was just. So what you, while you've been working down there, you see, I don't even notice, but because I've been doing a lot of work in the uh, the lamp room here. I know you're always busy. Well, I'm always busy doing my thing, you know what I mean? But it's like, while I've been up here, I've been shining the light out. Oh, you've been casting? I've been casting out to sort of like see what I can see over the little What have you trolled in for me? <laughs> oh, well, well, as you well know, I mean, me and you were pretty isolated out here, aren't we, on the old lighthouse. But we, uh, as, you know, we, we like <laughs> as we like it. As we like it. But the thing is, you see, over on the mainland, they haven't had quite such an, uh, such an easy time of it recently. No, I'm glad we're here, pal. I'm glad we're here. Well, well I mean, this is where you used to, you see, we've got our little storerooms all for like beers and beans and lots of stuff like that and tins and we've got loads of sort of like tea. So we're all right. Right, aren't we? Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. but you see, you got to wonder what's happening in the rest of the world and how everybody else is coping, you see, with these things. So I've it does been make you wonder. It does make you wonder. Yeah, so I've been wondering about this. So I've, I've had a bit of a shine out to find out what the bloody hell's going on in the world. <laughs> right? And I've got myself a, a story from Reuters here, the Reuters News Agency, you know. So um, what I've got here is, right, this, in Indonesia, they've got the coronavirus over there, right? And they've got a weird thing that's coping with it for them. They've got ghosts are sorting it out for him. <laughs> Sweet, yeah. they summoned the spirits. <laughs> yeah. So, Kepu Village in Indonesia has been haunted by ghosts recently. Mysterious white figures jumping out at unsuspecting passers-by, then gliding off under a full moon sky. 
So the village on Jar- the Java Island has deployed a cast of ghosts to patrol the streets, hoping that <laughs> yeah, hoping that age-old superstition will keep people indoors and safely away from the coronavirus. Ooh, this sounds juicy, yeah. tell. So head of a village youth group, right, uh, a chap called Anjar Pankanintias, right, Pankanintias, uh-huh. right? Oh, him, yeah. He, yeah, he says I'm not going to do the accent because that's not that's not very nice. It's going to sound no. Everything else is good in it, but you start doing them accents. It sounds so racist. Well, like he said, is them accents, <laughs> and even that sounds racist. He does, doesn't it? I'm digging and all. I'm getting out. Let's change. Go on. <laughs> Let's smooth over. So anyway, he Anjar says uh, we, we want it to be different and create a deterrent effect because Po Kong are spooky and scary. Right, Jesus! Oh, go for a different approach. Just summon the dead, right? Summon the dead. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so because he's, he's because of his like his village youth group, he's using them, right? He's coordinated with the police on this unconventional in- initiative to promote social distancing as the coronavirus spreads. So they're known as Pokong, these ghostly figures, and they're typically wrapped in white shrouds with powdered faces and coal-rimmed eyes. Ooh. So can you have a look at? Can you see that picture of them? Let's there? have a little look. Yeah. Oh Jesus! Yeah, they're like uh, looks a bit toilet rolly, don't they? Or bed sheets. They can't be toilet rolly. It's like gold dust in it. Toilet roll. So no one's wasting any bog roll now. Well, no, it's not. It's not bog roll there. It? Like you said, but people would just nick it off and won't they? Otherwise, you know. Is that indeed? It looks like coarse, does that? It looks like bread. <laughs> it does a little bit, doesn't it? But no, it's not. This. So these ghostly figures are typically wrapped in white shrouds with powdered faces and coal-rimmed eyes. Jesus. And, and in Indonesian folklore, they represent the trapped souls of the dead. They do look oh. like, you know, like if you had to lay a dead person out in a, in like an eastern country, you know, how you'd like bind a body, in it, really? Yeah, like this the, is the it, dead. yeah. Oh, the sweet thing about them, if you look at the legs there, they don't look like they'd be walking. It looks like they'd be hopping. You ever yeah, seen I know. Have oh. you seen the, the Chinese ghost herders in uh, China? You know, like how they used to move, move the dead bodies around from city to city. Have you ever seen that? What are you talking about? This is terrifying. It's awesome. <laughs> Basically, you know, like in, I've, seen, I've seen it in really cool, like supernatural kung fu movies from the 60s and stuff where I've seen it. And then I've asked about, and it's true tradition so basically a ghost herder a man who herded the ghosts around would come to your village any dead bodies yeah we've got six down road and he'd summon them to stand and they'd be stood they'd say come on then and he'd lead them and they'd be hopping behind him you know about 20 30 dead bodies no and he'd herd them down to the 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 proper place where you should be burying those bodies and you know like the the temples and stuff a ghost herder yeah he'd be just walking always at night he didn't do it through the day you know because it'd just freak everybody out but he'd be just herding these so he'd be walking normal behind him he'd have like 20 30 hopping you well, know, that's, that's what this looks like, doesn't it? It looks like it does, do yeah. hop out. Well, it looks like it's working. It looks like these ghosts, uh, these ghosts sort of like uh, the what they call the Pokong, um, looks like they're hopping out and they're doing a lot of good, though. And I think well, that's like the Pokemon or Pokong. Pokong. P O C O N G, Pokong. And yeah. it, you know, and it's and it, I think like I say, they're using the local superstitions to keep people indoors. That's and I think smart. in these days, you got to, that's it. You got to play smart, aren't you? You yeah, got to do these yeah. sort of things. You know, I think it's a good thing.
the superstition of new technology like the 5G mast burning that's been going on, which I will say here is ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> it's you know, fucking mongy, isn't it? You know, yeah. But I mean, there's, there's enough new news coverage of that sort of thing going on at the moment. But what I will cover is people relying on shit technology. Yeah. To detect sort of like coronavirus or anything like this, but um, what is here is we've got the uh, uh, the top Iran general pedals fake bomb detectors as tools to fight COVID nineteen. Oh, right? Dear. So we've got the commander of Iran's Revolutionary Guard is touting what appears to be the same fake bomb detecting devices once used by Iraqi and Afghan security forces as a coronavirus fighting tool. Oh, so. God. You like this name? You you like a good name, don't you? I do. Juicy names. Yeah. So this guy is Major General Hussein Salami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. Hussein Salami. Yeah. Captain Sausage. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the top official of the elite parallel branch of Iran's military, was on state television on Wednesday presenting the handheld devices as a disease-detecting tool. They appear to be the exact same phony bomb-detecting tools once sold by a convicted British fraudster called James McCormick to Iraqi security forces and that for years have popped up at checkpoints in Middle Eastern countries, right? Now, these items, now, can you have a little, if you have a little look, you can see sort of like, here's a, yeah, yeah, it, here's a, you'll, see, right. you'll see a picture of a guy holding what's basically like a black device with a little pointer yeah. on it. Well, I tell you what, they've blagged it well, though, there, haven't they? Because it looks really, you know, it's like a little probe coming out of it, like a um, pointy, like, half-metre probe and nice it. handle and stuff on it. It looks a decent kit, doesn't it? And it does well, bugger the, all in. <laughs> right. These devices are responsible for tens and tens of thousands of deaths. Oh, because man. what it is... This fuck all in them. They were originally designed and sold as novelty golf ball detection device, right? <laughs> they're absolutely useless, and they're basically what they are. Do you know what a divining rod is? Yeah, yeah, d- yeah, like yeah. The water or something like that. That's it, and all it is is just two <laughs> pivoting prongs which you hold over things to find water or gold or silver, whatever it is. If you look at that device, you'll realise that's all it is. Oh god! You see, it's a British scamster that's like marketed these first. I'm well, on the bomb disposal. Well, this is a guy I've been following. Yeah, I've been following this guy for a while actually. And when I say a while, we're talking like twenty years. God. Because he first started these things, selling them to the to the Iraqi security forces, but he couldn't sell them for a high enough price. People were sort of he had so many of these shit devices because they're easy to make. Mm. People were outbidding for them. They were fighting oh. to get these devices. It was they were being actually being condoned by um, American military as well. The, the people who wanted these things, it was off the chart. It was like a craze to get these devices. Oh, no. And. And it was a case of the cost, I don't know, cost like five bucks to make. And they were selling for like thousands per oh, unit. Oh, God. And of course, they're putting them on these checkpoints. People are checking them over saying, oh, no, you've got no bombs um, because we just had a scan over. And then they, this car's full of explosives and people are going off to bomb sort of or checkpoints. They have to go oh, bomb all sorts of stuff. Some market somewhere. Oh, Jesus. absolutely, you know. Well, it even got to a point, now I'm not even kidding you here, right? When they opened some of these things up, right, they were just the most basic bits of circuitry that just really just lit up a light bulb. And it, that's all it was. It was just like a little LED just went ping. And they were, they were relying on you to sort of like you wiggle them around and think you've found something. 
And now another one that I kid you not was it cropped up in the in the search for Madeline McCann did these devices oh, right? What? And they said they could find Madeline McCann using one of these devices when they cracked this open. I mean, they, I'm just going off my memory here. They cracked the device open, and the all that was inside was the same equipment and a picture of Madeline McCann. Ugh, that's yeah, the that's way. Horrible. That, so, in a weird way. The guy, this this fraudster, James McCormick, what he was kind of claiming was, it's not the electronics that work, it's a psychic device. <laughs> oh, what? Now, he, well, he's, he's claws his way out of there, hasn't he? You know, literally, little shit. Yeah, well, this is it. So, But unfortunately, he, ha- he has done, but he's been to jail. I think he's out of jail again now. But these devices have reappeared. And now, once again, they're in, the Iran's Revolutionary Guard are using these devices in some weird way to detect the disease. So I think what they're doing is basically scanning people with them and thinking, yes, you've got it, no, you haven't. But again, people are dying once again just because of this evil invention of James McCormick. And there's not a big enough shooter kick this guy's ass. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? What a git. Yeah. What's his name then? This sleazeball, James J- J- James McCormick is called, oh, you know. God. And he's, he's, but it doesn't help the fact you got like um, the U.S. president uh, Donald Trump at the moment. He's been egging on on like a, a right-wing television programs, and he's been saying he's been pushing this anti-malarial drug called hydroxychloroquine, right, or hydroxychloroquine. And I think this is this anti-malarial. It has, well, there's been no actual evidence to say it's been doing anything, right? But Donald Trump himself has been going on. TV to say, look, just give it a go, just try it. Look, what what can it hand? Just give it a wallop. And I'm thinking, no, that's not scientific research. But it turns yeah. out one of his companies has shares in hydroxychloroquine, so he's going to make money off of it. Oh, See, for my, for my, he's, he's no better than flipping James McCormick. Oh, you know what I mean? The, the dodgy, dirty deals that they're doing, <clears throat> all in background of it. Yeah. Christ Almighty. And I'm what so the. Ri- scary. Yeah, so what people really need to be doing, mate, is just keeping indoors or stick to the garden, have a nice yeah. pot of tea, don't be going out, don't be fanning around with stuff like that, you know, and wait yeah, until yeah. Uh, the, the real scientists come up with something we can use. That's what we need, yeah, isn't yeah, it, you know? Term that can sum up these days at the moment, or, or is it comes in handy, shall we say? Comes in handy, especially when we're talking about those two. And it's uh, Scotland's claim to fame as the birthplace of the word fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with him there. Yeah. They swear like troopers, can't they? The and they say, yeah, it, it's the country that's turned cursing to something of an art form. <laughs> uh, and now. And now a new TV documentary set to reveal Scotland's new claim to fame as the birthplace of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and this is by Brian Ferguson of the Scotsman. But he calls it the F word. But you know we're not going to tiptoe yeah, around, yeah. are we? We're all grown ups here, aren't we? At Crack and Cove, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so what it was? So there's an actress and theatre maker called Cora Bissett and a language expert called Doctor Joanne Kapaksik, right? And they pore over the earliest written records of swearing in Scotland. The experts say the origin of the profanity can be traced all the way back to the 16th century equivalent of a rap battle. Oh, right? cool. A rap-off. 
Yeah, so there used to be this thing. They used to have these duels between like two poets, and it used to be known, it used to be known as flighting. Of poetry um, slam. <laughs> that's exactly without. It's exactly what it is, right? So they're saying these two have a look in when they look at the long love uh, love affair Scotland has with swearing and insults, and it, despite the long-standing efforts of religious leaders to condemn it as a sin, right? right? And this 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 show is going to be billed as a celebration of Caledonian cursing. They explore the Bannantyne manuscript, one of the most important collections of medieval Scottish literature, which was compiled by the Edinburgh merchant George Bannantyne in 1568 when plague struck the city and was forced to stay at home. Oh, so, as you topical. can see, this this guy's got busy while he's in the middle of a shutdown, yeah. and he's 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 done a bit of sort of like sorting things out. So. Is the the collection contains a flighting of Dunbar and Kennedy, an account by the William Dunbar of a duel with Walter Kennedy, as in a flighting duel, right? And it's said to have con- been conducted at Edinburgh before the court of King James the Fourth of Scotland in around fifteen hundred. What they find is a collection describes some very juicy language and points out that one of the insults traded between the two poets was the phrase "one fuck it funling." <laughs> Right. <laughs> now, one, f- I think it sounds one as in it's spelled W A N. One. So you're one fuck it. I think he's really mean, meaning fucking, right? Yeah, yeah. And funling seems to be sort of saying that you're a bit bit daft, bit of light hearted. Yeah, a bit fumbly, a bit dumbly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's basically saying you're fucking daft, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's great. So the first time it's been used as an insult is just in Scotland, 1500s, in the royal court, in front of all the other people. And it just mean, means some one poet calling another, you're fucking daft. And I so like he's, he's like really made the word up because it just sounds like you're daft and then he's just put in a word that just sounds funny and it's took off, you know what I mean? Or is it something to do with sex no, you, or... You, you're actually right on both counts. It was a word used for sex. I think it's actually like an ancient Norse kind of usage or yeah, a slang yeah. usage, but it wasn't in popular parlance as it was. It wasn't used by everybody. Well, I'm going to roll with this one though. I'm thinking he's not saying you're daft. I think he's saying you you shag daft. You know what I mean? You can't even fuck. You know what I mean? You, you, you're, like, you're trying to get Could it in, get it in armpit or something. You're not. <laughs> 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 He's saying you're that daft you can't even, you know, text Get your natural. Straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the word for it. You can't fuck straight. You know what they mean? <laughs> that's that's a really about. good one when you put it in it. You know what I mean? That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Which in itself is a really good insult, actually. It is, isn't it? I'm going to use that. Yeah, you can't fuck straight. But it, I think what it was because it was done in, within the court. I think the word caught on, so it might have been the case that you know people in the street might have been using it a little bit. Yeah, but it was yeah. never it was never written down. It was never actually sort of like documented. But the yeah. first time, it might have been the fact that they used a gutter word in a poetry slam. Yeah, that became like a fashionable thing. I think that's fantastic. I, oh, I love stuff like that, and I bet you're right with that. He didn't he didn't just make it up spontaneously in court. He's heard it on the street. He's queuing up at pie shop or something, and he's he's heard some locals kind of like roughens. 
you know, talking. And that's where you get your best swears from, isn't it? I think factory That's work, exactly it. Just <laughs> in pub or something like that, you'll hear some choice swears, won't you? You think, ooh, I'm robbing well, that Well, one. This, is, this is the thing. I mean, it's like now poetry. We all see poetry as a stuffy thing, but as we all know, the, all the best poetry comes from the street, doesn't it? You know oh, I mean? big, that's, yeah, that's where absolutely. it all has to come from. Yeah, no, you it's know? beautiful. When, it gets, when it's right, it's the most beautiful thing on earth. And it's yeah. just all that, you know... Uh, Famous like lordy powder puff stuff. It's, it's the good stuff, the gritty stuff. And let's face it, as we all know, all the posh people, all people of that time, all royal family and everything. None of them can fuck straight, can they? Couldn't <laughs> 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 always do it. They had to slip it into bloody nephew, didn't they? Why it's so will go, man. Thou art a late Well, I've got I've got another story about somebody who seems to be struggling to. Well, I wouldn't say fuck straight, but it, it, they're not going to have any kids. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> So this is a story by uh, Jim Watson here, right? And it's been throughout various medias as this one, right? It's been a love at shop, so it's. A, but I'm, I'm putting it down to this guy. He gets he gets a shout, right? Uh, and it's woman's attraction to chandeliers, not a sexual orientation. A ruling says. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> go on, go on. So a British woman in a long-term relationship with a 92-year-old German chandelier has been told that her attraction to historic light fittings is not considered to be a protected sexual orientation. So to make that clear, you know, for example, LGBTQ and all these, which, yeah, are, you know, yeah. absolute grand, we're not going to be able to put a C on the end of those to say chandelier <laughs> or elf light fitting. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, you know. Geez. Well, give me, can I have her name, please? Because I know it's going to be a free name, I know it already. Well, this makes me laugh a bit, really, because the press regulator Ipso made the ruling after Amanda Liberty, a woman from Leeds in her mid-thirties, complained about an article in The Sun mocking her public declaration of love for Lumiere. Yeah, her name for an intricate lamp she bought on eBay. Uh, Right? (laughs) Which, if she's finding these lamps sexy, uh, is that not sex trafficking? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> over the internet on the dark web getting a chandelier. Yeah, yeah and I also found a good. What you're you're missing a bit of a trick as well is that uh, Amanda Liberty is named. There's a very famous lamp called the Liberty lamp. Ah, right. Yeah, so I think I think that could be you know that could be good uh, unless maybe she's chosen that on purpose. She might change the name by deed, Paul. Yeah, but um, or she a, yeah, <laughs> which a lamp doesn't have. <laughs> 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 Very good. <laughs> she argued that the newspaper's articles breached the regulator's code of conduct, which requires publishers to avoid prejudicial or perjurative references to an individual's sexuality. So, liberty, she... I doubt. Go, Go on. on, sorry. No, no, no. See, she's rubbing herself off on one. What's she doing with this lampshade? She's well... going to cause herself an injury. Well, I've often thought this because liberty identifies as an objectum sexual which is an individual who is attracted to objects. She objected to being included in the end-of-year article by Sun, Sun columnist Jane Moore, who nominated her for a Dagenham Award, 
which I don't know. Or it means two stops past barking, meaning she's mad. Which is a bit, you know, <laughs> simply because of her sexual, her sexual attraction to Lumiere. So she's this Jane Moore's basically said, "You're insane." Yeah. But then again, I suppose if you if you're in love with a lamp. I'd keep it a bit quiet. I, go, I, I don't mind it, but why do you have to? Why, they always got to shout about it, haven't they? And kick up a fuss, mention it to someone. Oh, now I'm in the papers. It's like, why did you mention it in the first place? You know? Yeah, this is it. I you bet there's I mean, plenty I, of ladies out there that are like in love with the objects. You know, I mean, the rampant rabbits or whatever they're called. But yeah. they're not screaming to the sun about them. <laughs> no, they're not getting married to them or anything. You know what I mean? So luckily, they've, they've. I think they've come down on the side of reason here because yeah. there's a lot of people sexual orientation do need protecting in this day and age massively uh, yeah. uh, uh, and I think to turn around and claim you're in love with a lamp absolutely fine you crack on yeah, yeah. Um, get stuck in I don't know what you're going to do as, as you said I don't know whether you rub off on it and if you do you've got to be careful a genie might pop out <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting this my love Jesus <laughs> <laughs> But I have heard other things. The two I've heard of before this was a woman fell in love with a bridge. Oh, wow, and, and, a and bridge. She, a whole bridge, and she tried to marry this bridge. And then I saw an interview with a, a lass on TV, and she'd fallen in love with an ancient, well, an older fairground attraction. It was one of those that sort of like swing. It's like a big sort. It's like um. You call it a boat. Is it swing, in... yeah, swing boat thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she's been playing with man in boat. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the t- they're the two that I've seen. A bridge. Um, yeah. Is it, is it, I've heard somewhere that you know with fe- uh, foot fetishes. Have you heard some of the reasons why there's so many people into feet, especially no. male? Well, in your brain, um, your motor skills for your feet. Is right next to sexual desire and sexual, you know, wanting and stuff. And when they mingle a little bit next to each other because of them two bits of the brain, they're bleeding off on each other on some people. They're not mentally ill or out. They're just kind of like, it's gone in next to each other. Really? The, the sparks are flying across. And people are getting real and fizzy about feet. And it's just, I wouldn't say they're mentally ill. It's just because of the reception... It's we haven't had a male yet with this, have we? Like some bloke falling. Oh, I suppose blokes fall in love with cars all the time, don't they? Weird well, there was like that, that guy who fell in with love with his uh, Austin Metro, wasn't he? And they ah, had to sort of like right. extract him out of the exhaust pipe. Ooh, wow, he must have stu- been a chunky fella. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> not if you've seen an Austin Metro exhaust pipe. It's like a fucking pea shooter, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Like no wide bar. <laughs> All that's happened, he's got it in there, he's got a fatty on it, he's not getting back out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seems to have got a chub on. <laughs> <laughs> but then that's a good thing about WD-40 in situations like this. So <laughs> <laughs> you get them little pipes and you can squeak it. In you. Yeah, get it squeezed down the side there, just see what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Fireman. chandeliers aren't going to be sort of ruled as a sort of thing which is sort of like a thing, an item of sexual desire. There's one story here which um, I thought was quite a sad one and once again I won't, I'm not going to turn around and say where this this one's particularly come from this story because it was all over the place and I thought this was really quite sad this and it's uh, army veteran has a child with his life-sized doll wife 
He's so, so where so Amanda Liberty, where Amanda Liberty might have been failing earlier on to sort of like mm. procreate with her lamp, um, this chap Terry Wayne East has somehow managed to create a child with his sex I've, doll. I've seen a picture of. Is there a really weird picture of it? Just like a a sex doll laid down, and it's got like a white sheet over her, and then there's just like a like a fucking plastic yes. bait. Oh, I've seen yeah. that. Oh, uh, yeah. God. I didn't I, have a chance to read. There was nothing with it. It was just like a picture somewhere on the internet. Like, I, I am printing it off because I just thought, Jesus Christ. <laughs> No, I have seen it before. I didn't know the story. I just thought, what is that? You know, it looks like quite a funny joke to me, just like there's a sex doll and a plastic baby, but it looked more sinister. And it is by itself. Yeah. So let's let's dip in deep. Let's get in here, right? So a US Army veteran in Georgia has seemingly taken mail-order brides to a new level and has seemingly gone off the deep end. So Terry Wayne East is frequently shown off and spoiled by his spouse, Stephanie, at their North Georgia home in Dalton, Chatsworth area. So Stephanie's social media page shows Terry being treated to gifts, home-cooked meals and praise. So that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> that's lovely of Steph, well done. Yeah, there's only one problem. There's Stephanie is a life-size doll, devoid of life or sentience. <laughs> Sentience? What does that mean? That's a nice word. It's a good word for this. It means uh, any kind of um, spirit, uh, uh, interaction, mentality, intelligence, nothing. No life. Wow, without life. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, so there's no way. Not even like off sort of like a little robot going, I love you, Terry. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Nothing there. At least chandelier turns on if you get it wired in right. This doesn't yeah. do no. <laughs> but what seems to be where, uh, where Stephanie... Uh, is lacking in um, life or sentience. She seems to be doing quite well in the breast department. Oh, I um, bet she is, yeah. <laughs> because she has gigantic tits. On an almost tiny childlike frame. Oh, like some oh. magnet. What, uh, have we got a size here? We're going H, G's, where are we? Have we got a... I on it no off the scale. I mean, because oh, yeah. that's that's the good thing with the, off the, the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, it's off the alphabet. That's the good thing with these uh, rubber numbers is that the uh, they don't sort of like they don't tend to sag, do they? Yeah. <laughs> They're just like a pair of space hoppers stuck on front. Oh, <laughs> but like you said, it's always on some childlike, ain't like some normal sized bird, is it? Or it's gonna be like this tiny little waif of a thing. Oh yeah. God, you sick puppy. So the thing is, this. So the the backstory, Stephanie's backstory, is that she was saved by Terry Wayne East from a terrible life in China. So she's <laughs> So Stephanie apparently writes, "I met." <laughs> I'm not going to do the voice again because it'll be Chinese. Right? <laughs> yeah. So she she claims I met Terry Wayne East online, and two weeks later I was out of tyranny, away from my homeland China, and in his arms. On my way to becoming an American, Stephanie, quote unquote, wrote on Facebook. (laughs) So So she's got her own Facebook page. Yep, and she's typing all this stuff. This is the this is the page where she's showing this. She's showing her giving gifts, home cooked meals, and prayers to Terry. Right. So East has been so Terry Wayne East has been spotted with his bride in photos, accepting holiday gifts from her, and even being seen passed out on the floor after a night of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on his floor. Terry's on floor drunk, or it's yeah, just it looks like it. Yeah, so God knows how this has happened, right? 
So, um, but now Stephanie has now given birth to a baby doll, according to the family. <laughs> oh, shit. All I can imagine is they've been trying real hard for yeah, this baby. I bet. I bet he's like two or three times a day trying. Yeah. So, according to some, some of the users posting on Stephanie's social media page, Terry East is allegedly a wounded veteran that came back not right in the head <laughs> and, <laughs> and took on Stephanie as his wife. <laughs> So he says, like, uh, his family and friends were even a part of this. Uh, his mum was there for the birth of the baby, apparently. Oh, no. Has he, like, jammed it up there or something? And he, he, mum's helping to get it out. Oh, wow. I really... <laughs> no, that is disgusting. The whole scene... Yeah, the whole scene's pretty disturbing, to be honest. It's one of those uh-huh. things you think, you know... I am not so sure about this. Well, are you sure it's his mum or he's not doing a psycho and, like, dressing up as his mum as well or out weird? Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> he's just doing the full pantomime. He's on lockdown as this man before it started. He's like, he can play any role. Oh, he's no. like doing postman bit as well. Is your, you know, he's like, what? Terry, you're well, everywhere. Have, 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 have you ever seen, was it the, uh, have you, was it the lonely guy? What was, what was the Steve Martin movie? Where he was, he was trying to go on dates all the time. He couldn't get any dates, and, and his mate set him up with a party. It was all these little cutouts and silhouettes and stuff like that. And that's where he had a party. I think that's like Terry Wayne East's house. It's just dolls everywhere. Oh, it'd be like it'd it's be like Home like... Alone bit, you know. I mean, everything's oh, fucking moving, juddering about a bit. Oh. Well, if you did move in there, I mean, or, you know, when it's still, you'd be straight back out again, wouldn't you? you oh, can you imagine man. how terrifying that'd be? Oh, so. God. No, but I mean, bless him. He's living his best life, is Terry Wayne East. And, uh, but again, and he, he's got to get it on the internet and share it about Annie rather than doing it behind closed doors. What's up with him? I don't want to know. To, need to think about is you see is that the idea of making your own doll um, is not a new thing and uh, making that doll perform your bidding is an ancient right and this is an, this is a thing called the interpretations of the golem Oh, is it the Jewish uh, golem or something? That's it, yes. This is a story uh, from uh, uh, Universal in particular by Benjamin Kirstein. Wow. I have seen that Treehouse of Horror, the uh, Simpson one. It had quite a good uh, history on the golem. (laughs) Well, this is it, you know what I mean? It's like one of the most famous images of a golem. You can have a little look at it yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's shorter than I thought he was. Well... It, they look small there, but in reality, they can be gigantic. Cool. So let's 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 work through this. Let's work yeah, through yeah. this. Right. So the most famous enduring of all the Jewish legends is that of the golem, the artificial man. Indeed, with the possible exception of the demon Lilith, briefly pressed into service as a feminist icon, the golem remains the only post-biblical Jewish myth to be widely adopted by non-Jewish cultures. The roots of the legend are ancient. The claims that Adam himself, as in Adam and Eve, and thus theologically speaking, all of humanity, was actually a golem himself until God 
breathed a soul into his nostrils. Ooh. Right? So they're thinking Adam was the first one because he's kind of made from the clay of the earth yeah, until yeah. he was brought to life, you know? Yeah. But the creatures we know it today was a much later and remarkably precise genealogy. The creature you're looking on that piece of paper there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. He was born in late 16th century Prague under the auspices of Rabbi Judah Lo Ben Bezalel, known as Maharal, who used Kabbalistic magic, is said to have created a humanoid creature out of mud or clay to defend the Jews from their enemies. Now, this has been something that's been gripping me again for years, as this, because they know almost exactly where this was made. The building's still there where it was made. The loft oh. it was meant to have been created in and everything. It's yeah, all yeah. there. From that precise knowledge, right, there's a few different versions of details and essentials, but we are told that the golem was made out of mud or ash or simply dirt, and he was brought to life by the application of magical amulets or by mystical incantations or by applying the Hebrew word emet, which means truth, to his body. Now, the things with the golem is, that I think he wears like a socket. There's like a socket in his head or somewhere, that, or you put something in his mouth. And if you, as soon as by putting these things like the word truth or, or on a parchment or a magical amulet in the right place, that's what activates the golem. Right? What are they in um, Treehouse of Horror and the old Simpson episode? <laughs> Bart <laughs> was putting a, putting a scroll in its mouth, you know, like you're saying. You're like, oh, oh wedgie, right. uh, my headmaster, and all that. And you were like, yo, yo, in him out of window and stuff. But you're right, you know, it was that kind of uh, <laughs> putting a parchment in its gob. But Go can you imagine off. how horrifying this is, though, the idea? I mean, the thinking is like it, it's basically an amorphous blob of clay, this huge clay figurine that comes to life and goes and does this rabbi's bidding. And again, he's protecting the Jews of the area, so it could be the fact during these pogroms or these uh, these uh, the, the killings and huntings and persecution of the Jews during the time, perhaps they just turned around, they needed a hero of the time. This yeah, could have been like a almost like a Jewish superhero, perhaps. Yeah, this yeah, like great... an early one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you're calling on some ungodly power to help you. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It's so fascinating because it's so deeply entrenched in the religion. Is this yeah, particular yeah. creature? It's not just sort of like a sort of glossed over, like the vague thing, like a, like a unicorn occasionally mentioned in the Bible and things like this. Yeah. This is something that was intrinsic to the teachings, and I think, wow. Look at the Old Testament, and God did make the, make a creature out of clay and called it man. You know, breathe yeah, life into yeah. it. You know, to actually deny the golem's existence is to deny that God made man. Wowzers! I like that. I'm just going to picture though. What a unusual! I didn't think it'd look like that. I've heard of him. I've seen depictions of him, but it was nothing as you know. First of all. The weird triangular eyes are really spooky, aren't they? But yeah, that's got like a third eye going on, hasn't it? You know, it's got like a circular well, eye. Well, I'm not sure whether that's. A, I'm not sure whether it's a socket for yeah, an it, amulet. Because you see, in his hand, he's got. If he lifted that thing in his hand up, yeah, it's about the same size, isn't it? That um, the hole in the thing in his hand and the hole in his head. Well, well, we'll put this on our, our Instagram page for uh, yeah, yeah. Crack and Cove. Uh, I think it's Crack and Cove podcast. Our Instagram. Let me have a little look up. The, it's Crack and Cove Pod. Is our yeah. Instagram page, and we'll we'll also put it on Twitter as well at, at Crack and Co. It's well worth a look at the image though, because that mouth is all crooked and funky as well, yeah. isn't it? It's really weird. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely bizarre. It's it's very very strange. So if anything we look at it, it's just speculation because people don't really know what it properly looked like. There are yeah. only very vague descriptions of what it was made of. But and what the Kabbalah, it, you know what I mean? All that sort of love to know more about. Because obviously all the old Madonna craze, everybody were doing it one bit. It's kind of dropped off favour. But something I'm fascinated with, like you said, something at the stage with me thinking, what, what is all that about? You know what I mean? I want to know more. Yeah, you know, obviously something like this. How do you kill a golem? That's the question, isn't it, you know? Having successfully defended the Jews, the golem turned on his maker, wreaking havoc in the Jewish ghettos, terrifying its inhabitants, and eventually attacking the synagogue he had been created to defend. Fucking super cool, man. It just goes rampage. It goes goes (laughs) full rampage, right? So therefore, the rabbi destroyed the work of his hands, returning it to the primordial mud from whence it came. And in a manner befitting of the creature's birth, his destruction was accomplished by damaging the letter Aleph from the word Emet, leaving the word Met. So he's taken one word away from the word Emet, right? What did Emet mean again? Emet means truth. Yeah, yeah. And he's destroyed the first letter of the E to leave Met, which means dead. Oh, clever. That's it, but this is again about a big part like the Jewish religion, uh, how it works with numbers, letters, a lot, lot more than uh, younger religions, shall we say, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I find that just just an incredible thing. I can't get over the idea that it was just the case that they needed a champion at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then again, I suppose it's a great... Uh, uh, thing to say as well is uh, as a parable if you like that yes you could have this all destructive being but if you create something immensely powerful that powerful powerful thing could turn on you too you know massive so i mean atomic war to everything in it you know what i mean it's just like fuck well this is this is true you've got to be very careful what you unleash this is true Funnily enough, you see, talking about um, creating something that you might lose control over, you know, something that you could oh, class, yeah. as a, class as a weapon, right? Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, a guy called William Cantello. Ooh, that's a right? juicy name, like that. Cantello. Yeah, William Cantello. And he's uh, he was a 19th century inventor, right? He, and he Italian invent- or what? I can't get it out of my head now. Is he, he no, no, he's, 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 he's an English guy. He's an English, he's an English inventor, in, in English as you get. He was uh, he was born in uh, 1839. Well, he was actually born in Newport on the Isle of Wight, right? And he was he studied engineering, right? But more than anything else, he was actually just like an inventor. Oh, sweet! You can't so, beat an old turn of the century inventor, can you? <laughs> well, this is it, you know what I mean. But his his inventions to start with didn't really particularly go anywhere. I mean, there were he studied all sorts of things and covered loads of different different stuff. There was a, a gun at the time was invented called the Gatling gun. Now, yeah, I've seen heard that. Of that. Yeah, I've seen it in the wild bunches of great Gatling gun scene at the end of that man. Wow. <laughs> well, this is easy. So it, it's and and William Cantello saw this and thought. Do you know something? Um, I can improve on that. 
he, he was actually under of um, he had a pub, but he also he eventually owned a he was a landlord of the old Tower Inn in Southampton, right? Yeah. And the good thing about this particular pub was, I think his missus kind of run it, and he would invent under the pub, you know. Oh, <laughs> sweet. He had an ancient tunnel underground on Bargate Street in Southampton. <laughs> But the only reason he sort of pissed off his neighbours a little bit, right, is because he would lock himself for days at a time in this tunnel, right, working away and inventing, right, and he kept it all bolted against the intruders, right, and all people could hear was the sound of a firing machine gun. <laughs> Day yes. and night, you're just fucking about with a mega Gatling gun. <laughs> <clears throat> That's it. The, 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 I mean, the Gatling gun at the time, it was, I mean, it was you know, like daka, 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 daka. But yeah. speed-wise, it wasn't anywhere near as sort of like fast as machine machine guns would eventually become, you know? Yeah, yeah. Total game-changer in warfare, though, I heard. But... Yeah, well, it eventually got to the point he was working away. He had, he had two sons and his wife, and they were kind of helping him out a little bit and everything. But he kind of kept, he always kept his secret guarded as to what he was doing yeah. until eventually right it was like sort of the early 1880s and he came out and says it's done I've Ooh. invented it it's all fucking ready I have invented the you know this 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 amazing gun. So he, uh, he so is he firing it down the? You see, he's got like this tunnel underneath. Is that what he's fighting? He's like his little shooting gallery. Type yeah, that's thing. right. He's firing oh, down this tunnel, it. right? So so you know, and so he, he says, right, what he needs to do, he needs to box it up, right, get everything sorted out, and he needs to go on like on a lot because he'd been working so hard. He says, I'm just gonna have to take a little bit of a break, but it's almost like a like a sales thing is going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they packed away all his stuff into cases, right? And then he went on when he's like, it's like a sales trip, right? And then he disappeared. He was never seen again. Whoa. Right? The inventor of this dookie. astonishing gun, right? I mean, he's a distinctive-looking guy, an English inventor, yeah. a respected character, right? Lovely so, beard on him. Lovely beard, you see. So flash forward to November 1916, right? So during so during World War One, right? As you well know, there's like issues with sort of like machine guns in World yeah. War One, wasn't there? You know what I mean? So basically, what had happened was there had been the invention of an almost amazing machine gun, yeah. and it was by a guy called Sir Hiram Stevens Maxim, and the gun was called a Maxim gun, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now this was a super fast firing weapon that would um, sort of blaze out across the sort of like what because the way they used to do it was they used to do these slow marches. So you used to march from your end of the battlefield yeah, towards yeah. your enemy, yeah, over no man's land. Like, over no man's don't land. Don't run. Yeah. It's not English if you run. Formation yeah. boys and all that bollocks. That's exactly it, you know. So it's like, um, but what happened was this this they invented the Maxim gun and the Germans quickly afterwards invented their own version of machine gun as well. And they basically just mowed each other down. And the only answer they had to this, because the the generals didn't have a response to this at all, so what they said basically said, look, all we ask you to do is dig into trenches, create trenches, and wait until we can work out how to go up against these things, right? And and so that's how trench warfare began, was with the invention of the Maxim gun. So in a weird way, you can turn around and say, fucking hell, it's a bit of a a nasty character, is this Sir Hiram Maxim, you know? So, Sahira Maxim is an American, right, uh, inventor, but he was uh, he worked for the British. That's his sort of main thing. But he was again, he was an incredible inventor. They reckon he invented hair curling irons, mouse traps, steam pumps. He even has <laughs> claims to have invented the light bulb, and he did very, very well with working out how to create a flying machine. So he was like an absolutely <laughs> prolific inventor. So amazing, amazing character. 
Now, the only issue they had with sort of uh, Sihiram Maximus, um, the sons got wind of this amazing inventor, right? But not only did they, oh, the sons of sorry, the sons of William Cantello, they got wind of him. But not only did they actually get wind of him, they actually managed to see a picture of him. Now, if you can see this picture I've got here, right? I'll show you this now, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can see the guy on the left is yep. William Cantello. The guy on the right is Sir Hiram Maxim. Well, the man who looks exactly the same, but a few years older. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jesus, he hasn't even changed his beard. This is it. He, he, he looks exactly in every way, shape, or form. Man, look Even at the arches of his eyebrows, his eyelids, everything, nose. This is it. So I'm going to put this again up on our Instagram page. But um, back in Southampton, the Cantello family studied the photograph they'd seen of this inventor of a machine gun that did exactly the same thing as their father's invention did, right? Mm. So they determined that they were going to meet him. So they determined that the Cantellos tracked him down, maxed him down to the London's Waterloo station while he was visit- in America visiting Britain. Yeah. And according to the accounts of the time, the two sons actually went up to him, saw him, and said, Father. And Maxim turned and asked, Well, boys, what can I do for you, right? Yeah. And then promptly jumped on a departing train and was gone. Oh, that's freaky. Yeah, so he legged it. So they eventually found that he was uh, living in Kent. Um, but when the sons tried to approach his house or do have anything to do with him, he refused to meet them, refused to have anything to do with them. And even and he, and he kept that way right up until the death in 1916. Oh, that's horrible. So, but, but there is evidence to say that Hiram Maxim was just his own man. He'd had his background, he'd had his, you know... Yeah, so one man didn't disappear and then the other man appear. He, he had a history before that. This is it. He, he, he seemed he seemed to have a very sort of like um, genuine history. His brother was Hudson Maxim, and he was a military inventor as well, who specialised in explosives. He's, he's got marriage certificates. He's got all sorts of things to say who he was or what he was or anything like this, you know. And it seemed yeah. to sort of like he seemed he seemed, by all intents and purposes, to have a genuine background. So it could be just the case that William Cantello disappeared off the face of the earth, yeah, died yeah. somewhere, was eventually attacked, mugged for his invention, and that it just so happened that Hira Maxim happened to invent the exact same weapon as he did. Yeah, yeah. But it looks to me like somehow, I personally think that William Cantello just invented a brand new sort of uh, name for himself. And a, a new persona for himself, and I think I think they're one and the same people. What do you think? What's your opinion? Well, I, I'm following yours there. I'm thinking he's gone on off on that business trip, and some maybe back home. He's thinking, you know, what I mean, he needs to. I don't know. Make this, this is his life's passion. He's got to make it work. And somewhere on the road, he's he's had a, a, a chance to take over someone else's life, and it's going to benefit him selling this gun. Because did he sell it to the? Um, Allies, or did he sell it to like the Germans? The gun. Take it. We had it first, and the Germans invented something very similar. You said. Well, that's it. I think it was the case that the Germans probably reverse engineered, or were on the same track to inventing something that was just as sort of like brutal. But uh, I think. Put it this you... way, though. Yeah? If you if you've got something and you're selling it for the first time and it's so new, people are going to poo-poo the idea. 
But with this man's history, the new man, you know what I mean? He's seen that his father were to do with um, gunpowder or explosions or something. It was his brother. His brother was also apparently an inventor as well. But you, you know, could just strike a deal with <clears throat> brother, couldn't you? Just saying, look, you know what I mean? You've got a name. I've got something to sell. Let's buddy up here. Let me. Do you know, it could be. It could be. And and especially coming from America over to England in these situations, um, yeah. a lot of people could just reinvent themselves. Just could create create new new personas, new ideas, new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just pretend to be whoever you are. You could reinvent yourself amazingly. It's not like nowadays. We ain't got a Cannell's chance of doing something like that, yeah. you know. No, they're going to hunt your ass down. But, but like back there, if you ain't working for those first few years, he thought, I've got to change my game. I have got to change my game here. You know what I mean? And he's he's took on someone else's whole life. It's too similar. The guns are too similar and the faces are too similar. Yeah. One man disappears, <laughs> one man appears in a way... Mm. I, th- I think. Do you think? I think it's nailed on, isn't it? I think yeah, it's nailed definitely. on. I think the yeah. mystery of the vanishing gun inventor is the fact that William Cantello, in truth, went on a business trip to America, reinvented yeah. himself as Maxim, and came back to glory, unhindered exactly. by yeah. wife and kids and yeah. their background. <laughs> he just got bored of them, didn't he? Just thinking, nah, I don't know. I'm going to get a well, load of cash here. Well, the thing is, who's to say he didn't have sort of secret debts or something? Who's to say yeah. there's other aspects? But, I mean, the reality is we are still just speculating, aren't we? We don't really know. Yeah, yeah. But all we do know is that the one of, that the both of them created one of the most dangerous weapons of all time, or at the time, an absolute game changer. Something that changed the landscape of warfare for all time. Jesus, and that is pretty big, isn't it? You know, when you look at that, the whole <laughs> civilised world of warfare, then suddenly, boom... It's, it's not totally something different. That, it's not something I'd like on my conscience, to be honest. on the subject of weaponry which is a bit of a strange one for us it's a little bit dark isn't it I it is yeah yeah stuff. but it's interesting you know, it is an interesting world it's an interesting thing it's an interesting subject matter you know what i mean and you've got to, we've got to cover these things sometimes you've got to be kind of you know um yeah. you know work at stuff so i'm going to do one of your favorite things now mm. i'm cranking the light up into space oh let's go love it this is what we need this is space what we need tales. can you see it's a clear day today though can we still see yeah. Yeah, you can see all sorts going on up there. Don't oh, worry about yeah, that. Yeah. But we're also looking up and we're looking into the past slightly. Yeah. Because I'm going to ask you the question, which is, what weapons did the Soviet Union plan to use in a space war? Oh, sweet. Lasers. You've got to have a bit of laser. Well, yeah, that's it. We'll have to see what they're going to have here. And this is from a, a website called Russia Beyond. And this is a piece by uh, Boris Igorov. God. The tricky though, Ruskies, that's all something I do really like about it. The bizarre in the tactics and stuff. I really like that about the Russians. So the different way of thinking. Different way yeah, of thinking yeah. completely. And I like that, you know. So here we go. Let's look into it. Let's dive in. Right. So for decades, the US and the Soviet Union prepared for a potential war in space. Dozens of unbelievable projects for combat stations and space fighters were developed, although almost none of them saw the light of day. But then in the 1950s, the US launched a program to create the Boeing X-20 Dinosaur 
space plane, right? Which is <laughs> yes. a mental name, I think. You know what I mean? You've got you to gotta love that. <laughs> so they, uh, and the Soviet Union decided it also had to create an ultimate military space plane for future wars in space. Thus, the Spiral Project was formed. According to the plan, the Soviet space plane was to be launched from an airplane carrier, right, and enter into orbit from there. Yeah. Right? So after reaching an altitude of 130 kilometres above sea level, it was proposed that a reconnaissance space plane would monitor objects both in orbit and on Earth. So basically what they'd do is they'd put like a space plane up there, it would orbit... And, and it would just monitor all the other things on Earth and in space to see what oh. needed doing, right? Yeah, yeah. But then what they wanted to do was to modify some of these space planes so then they would have striking space planes, right? <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, so they had the, you know, so what they'd do then is they'd have the, the, these ones have special miniature uh, nuclear warheads on board <gasps> so, they could fire, so they could fire down from space to Earth or they can indulge in fighting, sort of like almost like missile to missile combat in space if needed. With right? little mini nukes, <laughs> little mini nukes. Yeah, but they did sort of like, um, but they did actually have other sort of like uh, lots of lots of different little sort of like machines and ideas and sort of like stuff. They were working on lasers. That was a big one, was the laser. Yeah, yeah. But if you have a little look on the piece of paper I've got, you have a look at this. Oh here. yeah. Yes. Now, if you, if, you, if you look next to Maxim, look at that little plane there. Oh sweet! That's, yeah, it's very much like the um, what's the American what the the shuttle? Is it the shuttle they called it? Well, that's that's the one at the bottom you're looking at there, yeah, right? Yeah. But uh, if you're looking at the oh, one next to Max, yeah, you've got yourself a nose. Yeah, you've got there. You got yourself a little little, uh, little shit stuff that like. looks cool in space. Yeah. It's proper like it is like retro space plane, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the MiG one hundred five eleven spiral jet. That is, so that is their oh. little space plane. They did design <laughs> it. They made it ready to go to space. What is interesting though is one you've pointed out already, which is a which is a different space plane, right? Which um, I was looking at the plans for these and the, the old old plans, old things, but this predates the uh, American space shuttle. Do these plans? Jesus. So, the reality is the Russians invented the space shuttle, the whole design, how it looks, how it worked. But the Americans, it looks like to me a little bit of um, subterfusion spying. Yeah, I a bit think of they got the plans. That's it. You know, that's what they did. So, mm. yeah. So the first Soviet space station project was codenamed Diamond, which was followed by Scythian and Cascade. And the idea was that after entering into orbit, the combat space stations to look as if intended for just a peaceful purpose until they needed to be military, right? Yeah. So among the tasks of the Soviet space station was to destroy enemy spacecraft and intercontinental ballistic missiles, as well as important naval, ground and air targets. So some of these things were going to use different weapons. So for the Cascade station was meant to use missiles to hit targets in low Earth orbit, which is 2,000 kilometres above Earth's uh, equator or less. Mm. Whereas the Scythian was supposed to terminate targets with a laser weapon <laughs> in medium Earth's orbit. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what we were meant to be doing. So, basically, what we were going to be they envisioned was that we were going to have satellites in space, but also we were going to have these space planes protecting our satellites, fighting other space planes, and also sh- attacking these space stations. It was all mapped out, space station Jesus warfare. Jesus, man. Yeah. Well, imagine the sight of that, you know what I mean? It's just awful, isn't it? <laughs> it's 
terrifying. Yeah. There was a big talk, you see, uh, that um, when uh, when some, well, I forgot the Russian leader that died now, but when Khrushchev, when he took power after like the really cold, cold, cold war, mm. um, they reckon then he had a direct uh, phone to uh, Washington. And they I've heard this shit. Yeah. This. Were it Kennedy he were talking That's to? That's exactly right. I've heard so about Ken- this. That they were literally saying, right, we're saying this in the newspapers and we're at each other's throats. Let's talk peace on the phone on the night. Yeah, well, this is what was happening. It's because the Russian economy was tanking. It couldn't afford to keep up with all this. Yeah. America as well, it's thinking, come on. You know, it's exhausting everything to just build all this mad stuff. If you got to the point where you could just have peace. And I think that's what put paid to a lot of this Russian sort of um, uh, space weaponry and the mad science fiction side of things. If it hadn't been for those peace talks, it wouldn't be science fiction. It would be science fact. We would have been having space wars and it would have ended in the early 70s with uh, uh, nuclear destruction. Jesus wept. Good so as much as we want, that, dude. yeah, this is it. You know, so it's like you know the things that would have occurred. You know, they, they were working on uh, handmade new uh, laser weapons. They were working on special sort of like gigantic auto cannons. Things were all there <laughs> and had the funding. You know, yeah, but it was yeah. eventually it didn't come to be. All this amazing high tech weaponry uh, just remained on the shelves because of the one of the greatest weapons of all time, which is dialogue. Conversation yeah. and talks, which exactly. is what I'm a big believer in, you know. Yeah. Mightier than the sword or the laser space weapons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Something here. This is just a bit of a bit of a last one. I'm going to talk about here now. I'm going to ask you a question: Is mm-hmm. how do you defend yourself against wolves in space? Fucking hell, space wolves now, Jesus! Fuck, <laughs> uh, well, I would. You, with, I'd, I'd have to have a laser sword, a laser trident. That's what I'd use. <laughs> well. That's not a bad idea, something like a laser trident. But you see, again, those inventive Russians, they'd already thought of this thing. The way to defend yourself against wolves in space is the TP-82 weapon, right? <laughs> now, if you have a little look at that last picture I've got here for you, have a little oh, look cool. at this. Looks yeah? like a, what's that, a long-nosed schnauzer or whatever he's called. Yeah, well, it looks a bit like a broom-handled schnauzer. That's it. Uh, <laughs> no, a broom-handled mauser, sorry, not schnauzer. The schnauzer's a dog. <laughs> Well, I've got to do my weekly fuck-up, haven't I? <laughs> Long-handled dog. Long-handled dog, that's exactly it. Well, what it was, you see, they um, they realised that um, part of the problem with the cosmonauts and the journeys you know, into space, I mean, it's so dangerous going into space, isn't it? What, with all wolves? You've got, you've got to get there faster, <laughs> Jesus. Well, it's not necessarily when you're in space, but if you think now, they ah. couldn't really plot on their way back down from space. Where they're so going to hit down. That's it, where they're going to touch down. Now, the Americans are well known for touching down in the sea and rescuing people from the sea, but then again, they have this sort of like the luxury of having like a warm water and quite still sort of like the in the, like Pacific touchdowns. So they could land in the yeah. Pacific and, and be rescued from there. They had loads of American air bases all over the place to pick people up. So they could land within like a sort of a thousand square kilometres or something like that yeah, yeah. And, and be picked up really quite quickly. 
Um, whereas the Russians, unfortunately, they didn't have an awful lot of sea sort of. You've got uh, fucking options. Siberia, on you? That's what you got. Yes, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it boils down to. They were basically touching down potentially the Siberian forests, and those Siberian forests, as you well know, are pretty fucking big. And one of the things that lives in Siberian forests is, well, for a start, there's bears, there's wolves. Oh, these mach- they're just monsters everywhere, sort of thing. Oh, man. So hungry packs of wolves. Jesus. So they thought to themselves, what can they do to look after themselves? So what they decided, they designed the TP eighty two weapon. Now this weapon is a triple barrel shotgun. Wow. It's, it, right, but the weird thing about it is, it can take just about any ammunition you want to throw at it. You can put anything in this thing. Right, <laughs> yes. and it will shoot it. Right now, you can have a little look at the ha- the the stock of the gun. You can see a little yeah. bit of a stock there. So that's not a stock. That's a machete. Oh my god! It unclips to be a machete. Yeah. And also, it's super reinforced. Right. So even when all things are said and done, if you use all your ammo, it actually acts as a very effective club because the yeah, thing's yeah. fucking massive. It's heavy. Because you couldn't shoot it with one hand, that is going to break. That is definite. You got to hold it underhand, and you one trigger finger, one holding stock. Yeah, this is it. You know, so it's it's like you know, it's the sort of things that you need to sort of like you know, think right. What we're going to do here? You need something that's going to be a beast that can stop a bear. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I think it is absolutely sort of like amazing. So the way it sort of came about was. they decided they were going to send up with them a like a pilot survival kit, right? So you need like what's called a, a Kulikov antenna, so you can radio out. So with a rand- so you have a handheld radio beacon. You have a battery, mm. water flasks. You've got a bag, folding knives, signal flares, sunglasses, which you would have mm. thought would be very important, but they pretty much are, especially I if you like the snowy The glare, area. the glare yeah. will be fucking hardcore, won't it? Yeah. So that the um, what happened was the idea of a cosmonaut landing far afield and needing to rough it for a few days was a quite pressing concern at the time because the Soviet capsules re-entered the atmosphere. Tiny errors in calculation or performance would mean landing in a landing in a site hundreds of kilometers away from the exact location. So um, this is exactly what happened in the Voskhod two mission. Voskhod two was launched into space in March the eighteenth, nineteen sixty five. It carried two cosmonauts, Alexei Leonov and Pavel Belyaev. Leonov would take his place in history during that mission as the first man to perform a spacewalk. Oh, sweet. I love the word cosmonaut. And all. Oh, it's, it's the best in it, yeah. yeah. And though he survived defeat, it was not without trouble. His spacesuit inflated in the vacuum of space. Now, get this, right? Get this. <laughs> it became so puffed up and rigid that he couldn't bend his joint enough to re enter the airlock. Oh, right? that's terrifying. Suffering from heat exhaustion and extreme stress, he managed to vent some of the air in his suit into space. So he lost the air that he was carrying with him in order oh. to regain entry into the craft, right? God. Now, this was already a great act of courage and ingenuity, but he and his co-pilot would be tested again when they re-entered the atmosphere. A number of technical difficulties changed their trajectory, causing them to land 386 kilometres off target in a desolate Siberian forest. Oh, the hell on earth just started on it. Yeah. And he's in a space suit. He's just like, oh, fucking hell no. <laughs> so the thing is with him, they... At the time, they didn't get the TP-82 gun with them. They had to d- deal with just like a basic pilot's kit, right? Oh, but these kits did come in handy because it was bear and wolf mating season. <laughs> and though they thankfully didn't encounter these fierce animals while waiting for rescue, they were quite aware of the risk. 
So they endured just one freezing night alone, and in another in the company of a rescue party, and then they were finally able to... Now get this. They were finally able to ski to an open area where they were picked up by a helicopter. <laughs> so they went skiing after going being in space and crash landing. They, they go for a ski. <laughs> this They're is proper it, yeah. hard, aren't they? How hard is that? So this is the amazing thing about it. So eventually, when they came back, they said, right, well, let's have a debriefing on this mission. What do you think you could have done with? Now, one of the first things they looked at, obviously, was a spacesuit issue because nobody had done a spacewalk before. So they had to look at how to be more flexible in space. And obviously, there's a lot of things being done with spacesuits since then. Amazing. The second thing they pointed out was, what happens if a fucking bear had killed us? Mm -hmm. Or we got raped by a wolf? (laughs) (laughs) So let's go through the eventual designs of the TP-82. So, it was designed with the needs of cosmonauts in mind. Each gun had three barrels. The top two fired 12.5 by 70 millimetres ammunition, right? So, Mm -hmm. ordinary ammunition. While the lower held 5.45 times 39 millimetre ammo. And it could shoot shotgun shells, rifle bullets and flares. Wow, that's such a groovy gun. Yeah, so it could use flares as well, so it could actually shoot the bear and signal for help with the same weapon. (laughs) Right, without reloading, you know, I mean, you could have three different shots in there, couldn't you? A flare, yeah. shotgun, and a nice bullet. Or something. And then once you've run out of ammo, you've got the detachable machete, which you can hack at a bear if need be. You know. Yeah, yeah. Now it did go into space and was used and was carried everywhere, but eventually got to the point where they realised they've got so good at space travel, they'd sorted out all the other little issues. They knew exactly where they were going to be landing. Yeah. And yeah. one of the big problems with the TP eighty two was its weight. I mean, it's well, a fucking see. lump. Carting yeah. that up into space can't be cheap. Yeah, but the good thing about it, I mean, so so now they don't need to use it anymore, they don't need that kind of thing, but I think the best thing about the TP-82 to look at is the fact that you're looking at an absolute beast of a weapon, something sort of almost up there with a Maxim gun, you know? Uh, yeah. Something quite brutal, but it shows how brutal space travel was to start with. Yeah, you know? true. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because I'm looking at it thinking that's probably the only gun really... I know you've got hunting rifles and that, but I love that it wasn't... To kill anything, it's just purely defensive. You ain't got to kill a man, you know, unless it's attacking you in Siberia. But it is that bit, it's got an ultimate defensive weapon, isn't it? Absolutely, you've got it, you've got it. Yeah. So that's that's the sort of thing there. Well, it's I, beautiful, I, what a beautiful bit of history that is. I love that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's worked around quite nicely, I think, those. So. Yeah. But the thing is now, you, you see, we've, we've talked a lot about weapons, a lot about space, we've talked about war. I think it's time me and you just had a little chill out. Oh, yeah, you've been tiring after that painting, mate. It's all over me. You know, yeah, well, what you soak through onto my skin. Luckily, not on my speedos, but all right. over me. Well, what you need now is you need, I'm going to get you a fresh cup of tea, and we've got mm. like tea and crumpets we're going to have now. We're going to just sit out and maybe listen to a nice bit of relaxing music, and yeah. we're just going to chill here in the lamp room. Maybe get, what I'll do, I'm going to, I'll, I'll slide this door open here so we'll get a bit of fresh air as well. Here we yeah. go, sliding that open. That's fresh. Oh, there we go, nice bit of fresh air and stuff. Watch out for them seagulls. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to turn around and say it's a goodbye from Matt. And it's a very goodbye from Benny. Take care, guys. Yeah, but here we go. We're from Kraken Cove, and we'll be seeing you next time. Thanks for tuning yeah. in. Take care. See you, buds. Bye. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Crackencove or Instagram at Crackencovepod. Ha ha!